creates enormous possibilities for pay to, uh, but it's a little bit like Lego. It goes with things like the consumer data rights and QR codes and digital identity. You have to put these pieces together. Hello, and welcome to NPP Soundbites. I'm Lisa Lintern. As co-leader of Bain & Company's Global Digital Banking Initiative, Richard Fleming's work finds him at the heart of transformative change within organisations in the banking, insurance, wealth management and payment sectors. In this final episode of NPP Soundbites for 2021, I ask Richard about the global trends he sees driving the pace of change within these sectors and what the Australian payments landscape could look like in 2022 particularly when third-party payment initiation arrives in the form of Pay2. Thanks so much for joining me today, Richard. No problem. Thank you for inviting me. So the pace of change in the payment sector is accelerating. What are some of the key trends that you've been seeing globally and what role are real-time payments playing in driving that change? I think the, the thing that I reflect on is that the last decade was very much about payments um, moving from cash to, to debit. And that saw a very substantial shift in the use of cards that we're now getting extremely used to. It also saw countries like Brazil and India and China come into the payment system. Uh, this decade, I think, is much more about e-commerce and the integration of physical and digital payments. So innovations like Buy Now, Pay Later, which creates a really different experience for consumers. Uh, at the moment, the real adopters are younger consumers, but actually it's increasingly moving through age groups. Um, because the experience is great, it also provides a great proposition for, for merchants. Um, we're seeing payments embedded in all sorts of, you know, just everyday uh, experiences, uh, like buying uh, an air ticket, uh, or buying your groceries. And so payments are increasingly becoming embedded in uh, e-commerce experiences. And then there's real time. Um, you know, I think real time, uh, in a sense, it doesn't really add much to uh, the use cases that we can um, you know, access digitally today. But what it does do is it, it makes those experiences uh, a lot cleaner. You know, one example I have that I don't think is going to change the world, but it certainly makes a difference in our lives is when my daughter's in the queue at the grocery store and says, dad, I need some money. I can send her money instantly and she can pay for things. And she's got used to that. You know, she sort of thinks that's just how the world works now. Um, you know, I think there's also uh, an incredible advantage for businesses uh, now that we can put more data with a payment as well. And I can send an invoice with a payment or I can, you know, describe that payment, um, you know, increasingly to, a bot at the other end that then processes it automatically. So there's an enormous amount that's going to happen in, in digital you know, e-commerce, I think, over, the, over this decade with payments. Change always seems to come early in the P2P space. How are payments transforming the corporate and business sector? Look, I think there's lots of opportunities for businesses. And actually, we're seeing businesses really adopt it. COVID's helped as people have had to um, work from home. And, you know, when you work from home, there's less paper that you can have. You don't have the printer that sat in the, uh, in the office. Um, you know, in fact, I've heard lots of stories of businesses now as they go back to their offices saying they've just taken out the printers and they're amazed at how that's improved, improved their workflows. So, you know, I think there's the, the, the first place perhaps is in accounts receivable and a 
accounts payable. Um, we're seeing businesses automate those. Interestingly, what this is doing is it's putting accounting software at the heart of, of payment flows. Um, and the companies like Xero and NYOB are increasingly important in small businesses and connecting up payment flows to inventory holdings and banks and that sort of thing, which you know, brings down costs and changes working capital requirements and can change you know, how I view my creditors and managing risk. That, that probably then extends more widely into, into value chains. Um, some of that's you know, within borders. And so use cases like you know, education is one that's talked about quite a lot and making it easy for schools to have you know, their students pay for for their education or you know, universities um, allows them to manage that much more easily. Uh, you see it in healthcare. You know, I love the fact that now I can go to the physio and I just tap my healthcare card and that payment goes through, a split payment will go through to you know, the healthcare fund and you know, I pay the remainder. So there's, there's all sorts of ways that value chains will change and will reduce real, it'll reduce friction, take cost out of, out of value chains um, for businesses. And then I think there's going to be, there's probably going to be a whole set of new participants in payments. You know, one of the most notable of those is retailers. And it's interesting. You know, it started perhaps in, in uh, developing countries, but you see um, businesses like um, Ali creating a, a payment service to help consumers and merchants actually um, transact. Uh, you're seeing the same with Grab, which is, built a whole ecosystem around payments in their, in their app in, in Asia. But I was actually just looking yesterday, Sainsbury's, the Nectar team at Sainsbury's have just done a release. And if anybody wants to have a look at it, it's definitely worth looking at where you know, they're talking about the loyalty um, scheme that Sainsbury's have and just the possibilities that creates for them and the data that it creates and how they can support merchants. So it's, it's pretty exciting what's, what's possible um, outside of P2P payments. And, and what's driving this transformation? Is it the technology? Is it the customer demand and preference? Or is it something else altogether? Or a combination of those? I think the technology is you know, it's definitely at the heart of it. But it does take, it takes customers too. And it probably takes regulation as well. Um, you know, regulation helps shape and encourage the evolution of, of payments. Um, and I think, you know, the other thing to think about is it's a, it's a compounding change that you get first order effects and then second order effects build on that. And you know, that makes it in some ways quite difficult to, to see what's happening sometimes. You know, if we think about the, the technology component, the, the other thing is that there's just sort of multiple aspects to technology that are changing how payments happen. Um, there's new devices that we use and those devices are increasingly easy to use for, for payments. I think we've all got incredibly used to using our phones for payments over the last 18 months or two years. Uh, there's data transmission, which happens faster and more securely. Uh, there's storage that allows um, innovations like if distributed databases, which is essentially what's underneath blockchains. And then there's just enormous amounts of compute that people can access. And that makes it very easy to start businesses that uh, require compute. Uh, but you know, you know, the heart of this payments is increasingly becoming software rather than hardware. And it means that the innovation can happen more quickly. And, um, you know, we're not, we just 
don't need the distribution of physical devices in the same way to enable payment flows in the same way that we used to. People had to have you know, their own physical networks and ATMs or uh, point of sale machines. You know, a lot of that's going away. I can now pay for something at a store with a QR code and hopefully that'll come to you know, Australia soon. But that also takes adoption by customers and businesses need to create great experiences for customers to actually adopt these, um, you know, these new ways of paying for things. I think it's one of the things that the big tech companies have done really well is they've created great experiences for their customers, you know, one click from Amazon and being able to pay in your app using you know, Apple Pay. These are all beautiful experiences that actually then allow consumers to adopt um, and businesses to adopt payments and drive the change. And then there's regulators and you know, what they do to speed things up or in some cases, slow things down. Um, and you know you have to sort of watch very carefully, and we all do watch really carefully. You know what what the regulators doing to try to to change payments. So next year we'll see the introduction of Pay Two in the Australian market. What kind of impact do you think Pay Two will have for organisations, businesses, and consumers, as well as the financial services sector? At first, I think Pay Two is really exciting, um, but then you know with a a sort of dash of realism to that, it creates enormous possibilities, pay to, it really does. Uh, but it's a little bit like Lego, it's, you know, it's another part of the, the Lego toolkit that goes with things like the consumer data right and QR codes and digital identity. You have to put these pieces together to create the applications for businesses and customers and government, actually. You know, businesses have the opportunity to create much cleaner recurring payments to embed payments in their apps or online so I might be able to go to the supermarket and I have my app connected to my bank account and that's the way that I pay I can have subscriptions or they can disperse payments to customers or run salary off um, you know off the real-time network with pay to uh, and then you know ultimately put logic in payments as well which could be incredibly exciting but you know somebody's got to work out how they want to put that logic into their payments um, to uh, you know, pay people with with certain conditions. So you know all of that all of that's got to develop, and it'll require intermediaries that you know begin to um, create underneath underlying services. Um, for individuals, it makes it a lot easier, and um, it's going to create visibility into where my payments are. You know, I think one of the great innovations that happened in the last decade was being able to turn on and off a card but how you know with pay too now i can turn on and off a payment or you know a particular you know, person or institution that i'm paying to that's gives me the customer a lot of control and i with that got control of my data and how i use that so again you know people are going to build those into their um, experiences now i have a pay id and a pay id is a really easy thing to do it's you know it's human usable way of addressing my payments rather than bank account details and BSB. So, you know, the, the possibilities are amazing. Um, I think we just got to watch, you know, how those are now put together to create beautiful experiences um, over time. I mean, you know, so the other part to that is, you know, what the, the cards companies have created on the, you know, with cards payment is a whole set of these services. And so there's going to be a lot of inertia from those who, you know, provide and use um, you know, Visa, MasterCard, Amex, the card services, 
know, they already have mechanisms for chargebacks and they have mechanisms to manage fraud and turn on and off cards. And so that, you know, that's going to create a bit of inertia to the development of some of these, um, these new applications and experiences. So, well, you know, we'll see how it develops. Is there an international market we could look to to learn from when it comes to third-party payment initiation services like Pay2? Or will Australia be breaking new ground? Where will Pay2 uh, position Australia in terms of global innovation in this space? I think Australia's pretty much in the vanguard here, which is, you know, in some ways very exciting for, for us as a country. And, you know, the fact that the investment has been made in the NPP is... Is, is fabulous and lots of countries actually look to Australia for insights. So, you know, we certainly get asked a lot about Australia from uh, other markets around the world. Interesting markets though are uh, India. Yeah, India with their UPI system has been a real innovator. Um, and it's probably, you know, particularly interesting just because of the way they've implemented it. It's a pretty open system. It's easy to address. It's a, um, you know, a system therefore that has brought a lot of non-bank participants into the payments ecosystem. Europe's interesting, um, you know, Scandinavia in particular with you know, services like um, Swish in, in Sweden, um, you know, worth looking at. But, you know, on the back of PSD2 and, and open banking, there's increasingly uh, innovations coming. You know, IATA have got a mechanism um, to support payments for um, travel. Mm. And I think Emirates have adopted that, which cuts out the interchange with Visa and MasterCard for them, you know, that's what it is for them, but you should create a great experience uh, also for, for paying for, for tickets. So we, I mean, we'll expect more and more of those things. Brazil is going down this route and implements um, payment initiation, I think next year. Um, it's a little bit more bank centric. And so, you know, worth looking at because they've adopted it in a slightly different way that favors the banks probably, you know, more than the Indian system does. The European system, system's a bit clunky because of um, the way that uh, customers authenticate. Um, so, you know, each one's different and they're all worth looking at. So the payment sector itself features a growing number of varied players, which you've already touched on. So traditional banks, fintech, special payment service providers, small startups, huge multinational players and tech companies like Facebook and Apple. What do you think the Australian payments landscape could look like in the future? Yeah, that's difficult. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we go all sorts of ways, you know. And it's partly what we were just talking about. You know, it's how do consumers adopt things, and you know, what do businesses do, and uh, where are the incentives from regulators um, in the system? But I think you know, there's go there's going to be a there's going to be a few components to it that um, will we'll develop. You know, one is if you think about payments as sort of layered. There's, um, you know, at the base layer, there is the infrastructure. So, you know, in Australia, that's, you know, our FPOS system, which connects up um, you know, FPOS cards and supports the ATM network. And then there's now, you know, NPP supporting real-time payments and on that pay too. So there's, you know, the whole sort of uh, infrastructure layer. In a sense, that's pretty raw and it's very difficult for people to, to actually, you know, to use. Um, and so on top of that, there will be services that develop and, um, you know, we're seeing that in companies for real-time network like, you know, Zap2, which is creating a set of services that can then be used, um, you know, in the final layer to create great experiences. 
and the services are going to be you know, digital identity and fraud and authenticating customers, um, enabling rebates. Um, there's a whole set of services that actually need to be created in order to be able to use these the payments infrastructure effectively, QR codes. And then, you know, on top, you know, people are going to create great experiences. Banks are going to create experiences. I think retailers will create experiences. I think there's new players coming into the marketplace, like Afterpay, which are creating experiences. If they've done that on the cards network, they could do that with the real-time networks as well. Um, so yeah, I think it is going to form like that. And in, in the first instance, probably in a reasonably disaggregated way. And then we'll see, you know, aggregation over time and we'll move to more of an equilibrium. Um, the banks are not going to go away and you know ultimately i need somewhere to store value and that's going to be in the banking system so they're not going to go away from all of this and um and then there's probably a whole set of value-added services that will exist as well you know how do i use the data associated with payments uh, with payments um how do i support people to get financing you know whether that's business is in working capital or trade or individuals at the point of sale you know when they're using something like afterpay um you know buy now pay later service um, what can I do with loyalty and helping people get rewards and offers? Um, your governments are going to be really interested in what they can do um, to support tax mm. um, and accounting and make that easier for businesses. Um, so there's a whole set of you know, value-added services that then will build you know, around this as well. Again, there'll be disaggregation and then there'll be re-aggregation into into businesses, it's a little difficult to see how the re-aggregation happens. You, know, you mentioned um, the tech companies as well. You know, part of that will come down to regulation and how regulators feel about the big technology companies and their participation in in payments. You know, the access to chip on a, on a phone is you know one of the issues that's being played out in Australia at the moment. You know, somewhat depends what regulators do with that. Um, as to what happens with payments and you know, therefore do we get QR codes or do we go with NFC chips on phones? Difficult to say. So 2022 is shaping up to be a pretty busy year for, for payments and I guess one of the biggest immediate developments that we'll see is the, um, the approval from the ACCC for MPP Australia FPOS and the BPAY group to merge into Australian Payments Plus. What impact do you see that having on the domestic payments sector in Australia? Firstly, I think it's really exciting. I think it's a fabulous development for Australia. I think it gives Australia and Australians more say in how payments will happen in this market, which is tremendous. Um, so it's an exciting development. Um, it should enable faster innovation in the, in the payment system in Australia and sort of redress some of the the balance I think that's happened between you know, international schemes and domestic schemes on innovation. Um, it should create greater standardization across the infrastructure that we have. Um, you know, how do we get a common standard for things like identity and QR codes that enable payments? And ultimately it should actually help with that then create lower costs throughout the, the system for you know, using the underlying infrastructure, payments infrastructure. It's got challenges. There's lots of stakeholders involved, and they all want slightly different things from from this outcome. So you know that's that that creates challenges. And you know there is this balance that I talked about earlier with the the, the card system. The you know, card system is used by 
a lot of people and a lot of applications and has uh, an enormous amount of momentum. It works really well. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to, to see how that, how that plays out. But, you know, over time for you know, us as consumers and for businesses using payments, I think the infrastructure is going to become increasingly invisible, actually. And it's nice that, you know, we connect up two pieces of infrastructure here and uh, a bunch of services and hopefully make those increasingly invisible and just actually allow people to do what they want to do when they're, when they're paying for things and abstract the experience of paying from the frameworks and the networks and the systems underneath that. Well, on that note, thank you for joining me today, Richard. That was a really interesting conversation. It's a great podcast for me to end the year on. Um, and I think it sets 2022 up as a really interesting year for payment. So thanks for your time. Yeah, I think it'll be a fascinating year. I really look forward to seeing what happens and it's going to be a fascinating decade too. So thank you, Lisa, for inviting me.